This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Simon Kemp founder of Capios and consultant from We Are Social, where we discuss his recent published report, Digital Data and Trends in Asia-Pacific. We specifically examine the interesting trends on web, mobile, and social media across Asia-Pacific and forecast what will be important in 2017. Hi, Simon. Hey, how are you? I'm well. You're based in Singapore, right? Correct, yeah. Originally Scottish, but I've been in Singapore for the last 10 years. Yes, and I'm talking to Simon Kemp, founder of Capios and also global consultant from We Are Social. And this interview is partly arranged through one of my longtime listeners, Bob, and he actually introduced both of us via Twitter. But we actually just wrote each other messages at the same time and we got connected and this interview happened. So, Simon, it's great to have your show because I've been following your report quite a lot. And how did you actually start your career then? Yeah, way back at the beginning, I started out as a management consultant. And as part of that, um, I was working at Accenture. I started building websites as part of that. So I worked on building the online supermarket for Sainsbury's in the UK. I then got more and more involved in marketing as part of that. Uh, moved to a strategy agency based in London. We did work all around the world. And as part of that, I spent more and more time in Asia. I moved to Bangkok about 11, 12 years ago. And then shortly after that, I moved to Singapore and have been doing advertising and marketing ever since. So what's your current coverage as the founder of Kepios and also consultant for We Are Social? So Kepios is quite handy because it allows me to do all sorts of different things. So Kepios is my own marketing consultancy. It's very broad in terms of the, the geographic remit. It's fully global. And I try and get involved in anything that I think is interesting at the cutting edge. So that often involves digital activities, but it can involve pretty much anything that is on the, the more innovative side of marketing as well. Then with We Are Social, I'm now the global consultant. So I look at an awful lot of the thought leadership, some of the forward looking activities in the sort of world of social and the bits around that as well to try and help our clients to stay forward looking and to understand what's coming along the path that will really help their brands as well. So in your journey so far, what are the interesting career lessons you can share with my audience? <laughs> We've only got a few minutes on the podcast, so I won't go into all of the bits and pieces. But I think the one that really stood out for me, especially once I started running my own companies, was that you've kind of really got to stick to the things that you believe in. There are an awful lot of people that will give you what they, you know, they, they genuinely think is great advice, but often it contradicts with the kinds of things that you believe in, the kinds of direction that you want to take. And I think it's very easy to be pulled in lots of different directions if you take all of that advice on board. So much as it's great to, to listen to other people, to take that advice, I think the one thing I learned quite early on was to stick to the stuff that I really believed in. And uh, I'm kind of comfortable with where that's taken me. So hopefully that'll be useful advice for other people as well. I thought it would be very interesting today. The main subject of the day is about talking digital data and trends in Asia Pacific. I know every year you work together with Ria Social and Husui and publish an in-depth study of internet, social media and mobile around the world. And in fact, I actually been following you quite a lot because you always put out interesting stats on Asia Pacific. So I wanted to start off by talking about the report first. What are the objectives of the report and who is the intended audience for that report that you published? 
So we started writing these reports probably five or six years ago. The whole idea behind it was that we knew marketers needed that kind of broad set of data to be able to make better decisions and also even just to get started in digital. So if you think sort of five or six years ago, we were still often in that situation of marketing people saying, should we be in social media? What should we be doing? So I think the main driver behind putting the reports together was to get that conversation underway to make sure that people had the necessary data backup that they needed to be able to convince either themselves or their own teams and then have the relevant talking points to give them a sort of series of questions that they could then come to We Are Social with and say, we believe we, we want to do this. How do we do that? Or what advice have you got? So the audience was always very much focused on marketers. But I suppose as part of that, we made a, a very clear effort to engage journalists in the area as well. So we were really lucky in the beginning, we had a really good relationship with the guys at Tech in Asia. And they used an awful lot of that data as well. So we sort of we, we split the, the intended audience, if you like, between the, the actual marketers, and then the journalists as well. But we know that it's been picked up by all sorts of people. So we know a lot of governments, NGOs use it, we know an awful lot of our uh, competitor or friendly agencies use it. So yeah, hopefully it's, uh, it's, it's gone beyond the original intended audience by now. So what are the methodologies and the data sets which you put together in the report? So we collect mostly third-party data, spend an awful lot of time just looking around the internet to find data from existing sources that I believe is trustworthy and sufficiently current. That was one of the main, you know, we were very clear about that all the way along, that what we were doing was curating the very best of the free data that was out there. And then over time, we managed to find ways of actually creating our own data as well. So accessing sort of various different tools that allow you to not necessarily invent things, that's obviously not what we're trying to do, but to you know, be able to pull out data from perhaps things like Facebook's advertising tools and stuff like that to be able to really get data that hasn't been published anywhere else. So yeah, it, it's almost all third-party data. But this year in particular, we started working directly with the, the data providers themselves. So we've been really lucky. We've had Global Web Index have been a partner for a long time. And they'll give us access to that data even before they publish it to the tool. We also team up with GSMA Intelligence, who have great data for mobile. And then the other key partner from this year was Statista as well. So you'll know Statista from all the great data that they publish. And they give us some, some great access to some early data that they've been looking at in their sort of digital outlook tool, which is really useful for looking at things like e-commerce and things like that across different countries. And so every reader of the report, I'm very curious, what are the key metrics you have used to look at internet, social media and mobile across the uh, different countries? Yeah, so we, we try and use exactly the same data sets for every country. So that's a really important part when you're saying, you know, how do you look at it across the world? We do, wherever possible, make sure that they come from the same source. If we can't quite do that, then we do our very best to make sure that they're absolutely comparable. It's almost always unique users that we look for. So for example, when we're looking at social media data, we will take unique monthly active users on the most active platform in any given country. And that will make sure that we don't do things like double count and whatever else, because obviously that's a real concern. There's Most people use at least five or six different social media platforms now. So yeah, um, the numbers in there may actually even be a little bit conservative. But I think what's quite nice is that you know we, we've got internet users, we've got social media users, mobile social media users. And then depending on which country we're in, we've got unique mobile users or mobile connections. We've often got both of those mobile data points, but yeah, the unique mobile users is a little bit more difficult to get for every country. But those are the sort of, that's the core 
that the whole report is built on. And then we broaden out into things like device usage. So do people have smartphones? Do they have tablets? That kind of stuff. We also look at the things like the amount of time that people spend using these devices. And then we look at share of activity across different devices. So, for example, if we look at web traffic, how is web traffic split between things like PCs, mobile phones, tablets, and other devices? So there's a huge amount of different sets of data in there uh, spread across the sort of four or five different broad themes, if you like. But yeah, I think rather than me sort of going through that in great detail, we'll probably share the link to the report and then people can go and have a dig in themselves. That's right, definitely, because I want to spend more time talking to you about the key trends. So one thing, Asia Pacific is very big, right? There is China, there is India, there is East Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia and New Zealand. I mean, the first thing I probably wanted to ask you is what are the key trends for Asia Pacific as a whole in 2016 then? So the big thing across the whole of the digital field, and this hopefully will come as no surprise to the people listening to this podcast, and it's the fact that mobile is still very much the the most important story. And that spreads right the way across internet, social media, you name it. It's the primary device for pretty much everybody around the region. And the use of mobile digital technologies is increasing from year to year as well. So we're seeing some really strong growth even compared to just last year. So yeah, I mean, obviously from one country to the next, it does change. I think if you look at things like social media, you'll know that in countries like China, for example, you've got WeChat. And, you know, people outside of China might think of WeChat as perhaps a, a messenger platform. But if you've ever used the the local version of WeChat in China, you'll know that it's actually pretty much the entire internet in one app. So you can renew your passport, you can pay your municipal fines, you can order food and have it delivered. You can do just about anything on WeChat, which is fascinating. And then I think, you know, sort of looking at the rest of the region around that, you start to get into some really interesting sort of developments around other aspects of social media. So if you look at North Asia, if you look at Japan and South Korea, they're still very culturally driven when it comes to what they do on the internet. So the obvious example of that is, again, social media. You've got Line being the biggest social platform in Japan, and then you've got Talk, still the biggest platform in South Korea. And those you know, people do use those platforms outside of those countries, but they're still very much dominated by their home nations, if you like. Then when you get into places like Southeast Asia, it's really interesting because it's a real sort of spread of different kinds of activity. We're seeing things like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp are both really important. But within the report itself, we've broken down the data by country. And in each of those countries, we've got a list of the top social platforms that people use. So I think, you know, if anybody's really interested to go and dig into what people are using in Malaysia or in even in Myanmar and Cambodia, then we've we've got some really interesting data on that kind of stuff as well. And then obviously, when you get to countries like India, things change again. So once again, it, it's always the culture that drives that. And I think that's what's really interesting about APAC is that, you know, you've obviously got huge amounts of digital usage, but it always comes back to local culture and local language as the key drivers behind things. So anybody that really wants to get into digital marketing needs to understand the psychology, the culture and the societal aspects as much is understanding what the different technological platforms are as well. How is Asia growing as a region as compared to the rest? I mean, looking at their internet and mobile penetration or even the usage of social media tools. Yeah, so APAC is growing 
faster than the world as a whole, which is, I suppose that's quite exciting for people who live here, like me and you. And so internet use was up 15% year on year, which, you know, if you if you put that into real numbers, it was up almost a quarter of a billion users, new users through the course of 2016. So that, that's really quite an impressive number. Social media use was up even more. So that went up more than 300 million new users. So that's up 25% year on year. So if you look at that sort of compared to the, the global average, if you like, then that, that's, that's definitely a lot faster. Overall, when we were looking at the global usage, annual growth for internet users was 10% and social media was 20%. So APAC definitely sort of a good 50% faster growth compared to the rest of the world. And that's quite surprising because it already accounts for more than half of the world's digital users as it is. So you know we're, we're sort of gaining more and more share, if you like, of global usage in this part of the world. And I think that, like for example, Myanmar, I think two, three years ago, I think it's something like 200,000 mobile users and suddenly in three years i think 2016 is something like 30 million mobile yeah. users kind of growth is just unimaginable for a lot of people yeah it's staggering i mean myanmar in particular is a standout story it's one of the 10 fastest growing digital markets in the world but i think a big part of that is if you look back even five years ago when we started writing these reports digital was pretty much entirely blocked in Myanmar. So there was no legitimate access to Facebook, much as people had started to use things like VPNs to get around that. But if you sort of take the idea that five years ago, nobody used social media in Myanmar. And here we are five years later, and we've got 14 million people using Facebook alone in Myanmar. And then you've got all sorts of different chat apps and stuff that are really taking off because of the, you know, the real driver of digital in Myanmar is that mobile platform. And I think Data speeds are still a little bit of a challenge. So messengers are even more popular than platforms like Facebook, where things like video and stuff can slow things down. Unfortunately, platforms like WhatsApp, they don't break out their users by country on a, a level that we're comfortable reporting. So we don't know the exact numbers of people using that kind of stuff in Myanmar. But even if we just look at that, that overall Facebook stat of 14 million, I mean, that's, that's really exciting. And it's I think that was up 80 something percent year on year. So up 6 million, 7 million users in just one year, which is that's quite staggering. So what are the surprising things from the data that tells you about internet, mobile and social media across Asia Pacific? I mean, things that you know, that stands out to you, but you know, a lot of people didn't know about. It may not be that they don't know about it. I think that the fact that we're still seeing accelerating growth surprises me. I mean, every year I expect to come in and have to report, oh, it's it slowed down this year and we've got to sort of not necessarily peak internet, but we've definitely got to the stage where it's mainstream and therefore, you know, growth inevitably has to slow down. So this year, globally, we reached the really impressive milestone of more than half of the world using the internet. So I did kind of expect that we were going to see that sort of start to slow down, if you like. But in APAC, it's definitely not the case. I mean, the, the key bit that stood out for me this year was that accelerating growth compared to last year. Then you get into sort of the little nuanced bit. So I already talked about the cultural differences around the region. And that's the bit that I always get really excited about when I start digging in. I love seeing new platforms that come along in a particular country and how they drive different kinds of online behavior and actually sort of give you a unique perspective on that country from the outside. So 
if we just look at somewhere like Indonesia, 130 million people in Indonesia now using the internet. So obviously a fairly big base on which to, to sort of explore things. A couple of years back, BlackBerry Messenger, BBM, remember that? That was still the number one platform in Indonesia. It had sort of migrated into an Android environment, but it was still that platform that people were using on there. And in just the space of a couple of years, that has now dropped down behind Facebook Messenger. It's dropped down behind WhatsApp and, you know, Line as well, a massive player in Indonesia as well. So it's very clear that staying in touch on an always on kind of basis is massively important to people in Indonesia. They're they're using these tools to stay in constant contact with each other. And that sort of builds on the way that they used to use things like Twitter as well. So we spoke to the guys at Twitter a few months back and they were saying that the way that Twitter really took off in Indonesia was that people were using it primarily for direct messaging. They were using it almost like SMS, but without having to pay the network fees. So it's little things like that that I get really excited about. The numbers are useful, but in all honesty, you, you sort of get numb to the numbers after, you know, I do three and a half thousand slides across the world for these reports, which, as you can imagine, gets a little bit sort of, you go snow blind after a while. So it's the, the more subjective and human stories that I get excited about. And it's not just um, the APAC stories in there as well. So we've got really interesting insights into places like Iran and Cuba in this year's report as well. So, you know, I think obviously this is the, the, the APAC story that we want to tell on this podcast. But for anybody that's interested in that sort of stuff, they'll be, they'll be interested to know that they can go beyond and compare it to other parts of the world where we've got fast growth and development as well. And I have to add to that, actually the actual report itself, I think about 300 over pages, right? So you've got the overview, which is a couple of hundred pages, but altogether across the 230 something countries, it's 3,300 slides. So a bit of a mammoth epic. It's broken down into 21 separate reports. <laughs> you don't you don't need to read them all, and there will not be a test at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, it's designed as an encyclopedia. When you need the numbers for Cambodia, you can go and find them. But yeah, nobody's going to read that end to end. Not even me. We will take an advertisement break for the moment. Innovation and value generation remained at the forefront of the fourth edition of the IoT Asia Conference, which returns on the 29th to 30th of March at the Singapore Expo Exhibition Halls. Join the three-track conference to learn about the latest developments and initiatives from top leaders and leading lights in the field. Use the code IOT7AASIA to get a 10% discount off the conference rates except academic. Coming back. So I'm very curious more on social media. Mm. I guess you already touched a little bit on the social media tools that have been used in different parts of Asia. I mean, I would minus China because of WeChat. Yeah. And can I just specifically deep dive into asking what are the kind of behavior of the users, specifically for users in Asia Pacific minus China first, and then we go into China? Yeah. So I think messengers, there should be no surprise to anybody there. Mobile messengers are definitely the standout story as they have been for the last couple of years. There's obviously a, a few different platforms that are gaining popularity around the region. But I think when, when you look at what messengers allow us to do, they allow us to have conversations in a way that we perhaps didn't quite manage to achieve with social networks. You know, we, we would have messaging within things like Facebook. We could comment on each other's posts and reply to those, but it was always a little bit clumsy in terms of having a fluid conversation. Whereas if you look at platforms like WhatsApp or Line or WeChat, they allow us to have those more natural conversations, whether it's talking about something that we watched on TV, ironically, you know, that, that mishmash of different kinds of media, whether it's planning a night out, whatever it is, 
that's the kind of stuff that people are doing on those platforms. I think, you know, if you if you want to look at it a little bit from a marketing perspective, it's fascinating because there are still very few options for marketers to interrupt and buy their way into those conversations. So at the moment, the key priority for marketers that want to sort of harness the power and the reach of mobile messengers is they've got to understand how to inspire organic word of mouth, which, you know, anybody that's been in marketing for a while will remember way back at the beginning of their career. It's always one of those things that you study and you think that it's maybe fallen by the wayside in digital, but it's completely the opposite. Word of mouth is massively important. And I think, you know, sort of building on the natural kinds of conversations that people have in these platforms, when you go back to a user level, things like emoji, things like stickers, things like animated GIFs and whatever else, it's fascinating to see how they have evolved across different platforms and for different cultures. So obviously, Line in Japan, stickers are massive and people spend huge amounts of money buying very expressive kinds of stickers and emoji packs, principally because as a language, Japanese is not quite as perhaps emotionally expressive as other languages. And so emoji and stickers fill in that gap and allow people to convey empathy with each other. So that kind of stuff I find really, really interesting. Um, I'm in danger of taking you off down rabbit holes, though. So before I go any further, it's probably better if I pass back to you. No, I thought it was an interesting point. And then specifically for China, what are, what are their user behavior then? So I think WeChat, for anybody in China, these are going to be statements of the obvious, but for people outside of China that want to understand WeChat, I think it, it's really, really important that we understand what's going on. So I mentioned earlier that WeChat has become the internet in a single app. But when you get down specifically to the messaging side of things, it's it's almost entirely now audio-based. So if you walk around the streets of Shanghai or Beijing, you don't see people typing into their phones to send messages to each other. They're recording their voice in little audio snippets, and they're sort of bouncing those backwards and forwards in a slightly disjointed telephone conversation, if you like. But there may be minutes or even hours between sort of one part of the conversation and the next. And I think that's really, really interesting because I think that is something that is going to extend. I wouldn't necessarily say that WeChat is going to make it big elsewhere in the world. I think we've been expecting that for a while and it's just not happened. So I would predict that it's not going to happen anytime soon. But I think the behaviors that go on inside of WeChat, we're definitely going to see sort of expanding out to different platforms and into different kinds of parts of the world as well. So I would be confident that voice messaging is going to become a part of the ecosystem. But I think one of the things that that then drives is video chat and video messaging. And it's just, it's at which point video gets a sufficient amount of momentum that it overtakes video. So we may actually only see video being the dominant form for even just a couple of months, maybe later this year. So chat being, audio being that sort of dominant thing just for a couple of months this year before video finally takes over. So I think it's really interesting to see the technological advances that Tencent have made with WeChat that I think you'll probably find that Mark Zuckerberg and co are going to try and copy in the same way they're copying all the stuff from Snapchat and build those into their own platforms as well. I'm surprised by that because they perfectly understood how WeChat works, but yet they tried very hard not to clone WeChat instead of spending their time on the chatbots model. So somehow they don't have a strategy for Asia, right? Yeah, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? I would suggest that from the outside, at least, I don't know what they're talking about internally, but it doesn't feel like they've built a series of platforms and frameworks that specifically speak to Asian languages and Asian cultures and Asian behaviors. I'd be surprised if that lack of direct coverage doesn't change. So one of the things that I'm sort of 
expecting to happen across the landscape this year is some more dedicated Asian offerings. Now, whether that comes from the Facebooks and the 10 cents or not, I'm not sure. But it feels just sort of listening to the much more subjective conversations that I'm having with people as I'm going around the region, it feels like people think that there is a, a missing need. So any budding entrepreneurs on the uh, listening to the podcast right now, it feels like in that messaging world, there is a big gap to cater to the APAC consumer need, whether that is a video messaging platform, whether it's audio based, whatever it may be, it definitely feels like it's something that um, people want. Just add a data point is that I think the ARPU average revenue per user for WeChat is WeChat and QQ, which is the whole of Tencent is seven US dollars, and Facebook I think clawed from something about one dollar seventy cents now to two dollars this year for Asia Pacific specifically. Do you see the social media tools different from the age demographics? For example, millennials using Snapchat or Instagram or older people with Facebook. I know my brother-in-law who's a millennial and he's using Snapchat and he taught me how to use it and I finally got it after a long, long time of using it. Yeah, so inevitably there is an age factor in deciding what people use, but it's not just age. So there'll be language, there'll be culture, there will be socioeconomic background, there'll be the device that you use. So all sorts of different factors. One of the things that people keep on talking about is that the Facebook audience is aging. In actual fact, that's not true. So globally, still the single largest audience on Facebook around the world is 18-year-olds. So I think that's quite interesting. There's there's some more insights in that data that I'm still digging into. There's a couple of anomalies that I need to check before I make it public, but there's some, some fascinating peculiarities within the age data in Facebook user base around the world. When you get into APAC, Snapchat hasn't taken off as much as a lot of people think it has, except amongst the slightly more uh, wealthy audiences. A lot of that is down to data. I know that sounds slightly ridiculous, but if you're still paying for relatively slow pay-as-you-go contract sort of data, something like Snapchat, if it's video, is going to take up an awful lot of your bandwidth and it's going to be an expensive platform to use. So outside of Singapore, Hong Kong and Australia it's n- and uh, New Zealand, it's not picked up as much momentum as it has in the West. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether they cover that as part of their impending IPO. But my, my guess is that Snapchat's not going to make it in Asia anytime soon. <laughs> you can quote me on that one. <laughs> Despite they drew a lot of their inspiration from Tencent. Yeah, correct. So I think it's really interesting. The, the influences in terms of the technology are definitely there. But I think the understanding of consumer behavior and motivation of Asian audience is definitely not there. But hey, I mean, they've, they've built a successful platform that's certainly got a very high valuation. So I'm, I'm not making the criticism. I'm purely making an observation. But I think, yeah, I think when you look at the other platforms, Instagram is huge around the region. I think that speaks to the, the cultural diversity that we've got. Even, you know, if you look at a country like Singapore, where you've got multitudes of different languages, you've got different cultural backgrounds, a very visual platform like Instagram allows you to, to cut across all of those different audiences very easily. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's really caught on. So obviously just a real pleasure to use a very visual kind of platform. So Instagram, you know, it's, it tends to be the slightly younger audiences, but at 600 million users around the world, it's already a fairly sort of a global and universal platform. Beyond that, yeah, you, you, you definitely start to get into some very niche kind of audiences once you get into peculiar kinds of messaging platforms and whatever else. And a lot of that is very much driven by uh, age groups and then sort of social groups within that. And I think that's where we're going to see the next developments coming out of. If you look at the way that messenger platforms evolved around APAC over the last three to five years, it was always a very, very small, specific group of people in a particular country that were very well connected both 
physically and online that really drove the growth of a particular platform. So you had things like Viber taking off fantastically fast in the Philippines because of a real sort of small base of very influential people. Line in, whether it was Japan or in Taiwan or in Thailand or Indonesia, same sort of thing, you know, a, a small group of power users really driving that local take up. I think when we get into that new round of Asia tailored platforms, we're going to see the same phenomenon happen again. So anybody that is interested in sort of watching what's happening, you you really want to get down to the, the influential tech users, understand what they're excited by, and that will probably indicate what's going to happen next. We've talked about the underlying trends for messaging apps in Asia versus WhatsApp versus Facebook Messenger. How are the digital marketers actually leveraging the messaging apps as compared to the standard social media tools? Not very well is the easy answer. Um, That's not unique to Asia. So I think a lot of marketers are really struggling with this. The only thing that seems to be getting them excited at the moment is chatbots. And I have to say, it's one of the things that frustrates me the most and drives me mad. I would suggest that 99.9% of all marketing chatbot activity out there is utter rubbish. We need to start wasting our money and people's time creating things that nobody needs and nobody wants. Sure, it looks nice when you develop a marketing plan and you say, we built a chatbot, but realistically, if nobody uses it, it's just... So I think chatbots are to sort of 2017 what mobile apps were to 2014, 2013. It's like everybody was building an app, but we just don't need to do that unless people are genuinely going to use them. So I think we'll see that be a relatively fast growth followed by a very quick decline. I think chatbots are definitely not going away, but I think chatbots as a marketing campaign will definitely not survive the ROI question from finance for very long. So beyond that, I think very few marketers have got their head around that organic word of mouth bit that I mentioned earlier. I think the really exciting opportunity though, if marketers sort of step out of the technology excitement and they look at marketing as being this way of satisfying people's wants and needs and desires, they can use absolutely every everything across their marketing mix. So, you know, things like your packaging, things like your distribution strategy, even things like pricing can inspire meaningful conversations between people if those activities are interesting or they're entertaining or they're innovative. So I think instead of where we got to with social networking, where we sort of, we've almost got caught in the trap of needing to create huge amounts of content to fill in content calendars to stay relevant. The best tip that I would have for marketers this year is to step back a little bit from that. That's not to say those things don't have value because they definitely do. But I think it's to think about how you inspire conversations in those messengers using everything that your organization does instead of creating bespoke content just for a messenger world. Before I ask you the last thing, what are the key things to watch out for for 2017? So I think we're going to see a lot of innovation within that messenger world. Like I said, we're going to see something specific to APAC coming out. Probably second half of this year would be my prediction. I would look out for something maybe September, October time. We'll probably see some kind of platform that caters to the specific Asian need. Related to that, but not necessarily the same thing. The other big tip I would have is video chat. That is going to become a very big thing. That is going to fall into a few different kinds of streams, though, if you like. So you'll have video calls, very much the way that people would recognize from things like Skype, but those already exist. So that's not really exciting. But I think you'll probably see in the way that people use WeChat to record audio snippets and send them backwards and forwards in a staccato kind of way, I think people will record small video snippets and send them to each other. So building on what you can kind of do in Snapchat, but becoming a lot more fluid and a lot less sort of vanishing after a few seconds kind of thing. So that would be my other big prediction, the development there. Simon, thank 
thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with me the insights across Asia Pacific for social media, internet and mobile. Help my audience, how do they find you? So the easiest way to actually have a conversation with me would be either LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find me as Eskimon. So Eskimo with an N for November at the end of it. And if anybody wants the slightly more sort of longer reads stuff, then you'll find me on kepios.com. And you can find me at blongcw.bernardlong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and TuneIn, and of course, Google Play in the US market. And recommend us on Overcast. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Of course, tweet me your feedback. So once again, Simon, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Bernard. Great to speak to you.